Hey everyone, Sarah Peck here, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. From the moment I started this podcast, I have wanted Danielle Laporte to be on the show. When she emailed back to say yes, that she would join me as a guest, I was over the moon. Danielle is a soulful writer, a spiritual guide, a seeker. She is also a parent to a now teenager. And today I have the honor of asking her to share with us her parenting journey. Danielle is an invited member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a group who, in Oprah's words, is uniquely connecting the world together with a spiritual energy that matters. She has created books like The Firestarter Sessions, The Desire Map, and her latest, White Hot Truth. She's the creator of Truth Bombs, and she has millions of visitors that come to her site every month. Forbes named her one of the top 100 websites for women. Entrepreneur Magazine calls her equal parts poet and entrepreneurial badass. She runs a multi-million dollar company that works virtually from five different countries. Today, I am thrilled to have her as a guest. And in today's episode, I ask her to share her parenting journey. I ask her if she has parenting philosophies and what they are and what she wishes more people knew about what it really takes to be a parent. We weave this into her own entrepreneurial journey. And then at the end of our episode, I ask her about what's lighting her up today in her own business. If you are an entrepreneur or somebody who works in leadership, and you're tired of hearing that you need to grow bigger and hustle harder, then listen into what she's building and how she's building it, because I think it offers a lot of solace for all of us. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Today, I've got something fun I want to tell you about. We are putting together a weekly letter that we send out to all of our readers. In the letter, we talk about the joys, the pains, the difficulties, and really useful strategies for making motherhood and work a little bit easier and more joyful. Sign up at startuppregnant.com slash newsletter. We are also organizing all of the information on our website into three streams, pregnancy, parenting, and entrepreneurship. So you can find resources and guides on figuring out how to manage your pregnancy, tips and best books on parenting, and success strategies from other entrepreneurs all about running your own business. Take a look through our website, and if you've got something in particular that you want to see or you want us to work on, we are always reachable by email. Just send us a note. I'm Sarah at hello at startuppregnant.com. Yes, I just gave you my direct email address, and you can tell me what you think would be really useful because I love hearing from you. And if you want to tell us we're awesome, we also take that as well. We love having that in our email inbox. Thanks so much. All right, let's dig in. As always, hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a minute to leave us a review, we would love that. If you need any of the show notes from the show, head to startuppregnant.com. I am so grateful to have Danielle Laporte as our guest today. Danielle, thank you for joining me on the show. 
I'm so psyched. Everybody, I was telling Sarah before we went live that when when I found out she was doing this podcast, I was like, oh, I hope she asks me. <laughs> because respect, I love you. And I love having real parenting conversations. And I don't have those really often in this space. So I'm stoked. I am so glad you're here. So I want to start by asking you about your parenting journey. Can you tell mm-hmm. us when you became a parent? I was 34 when I had him. I was planning in my mind where you have this fantasy sketch of your life. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to put the book out and it's going to sell a zillion copies. And then after I'm on the Today Show, I'm going to get pregnant. And something else happened. And it wasn't a surprise. It was just I was overtaken by the desire to procreate. And my then husband came home from karate class and I was like, today's the day. He's like, what? I thought you could write a book. I was like, no, today, let's let's go. And that was the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So how is pregnancy for you? Well, my data says that there's the type of woman who loves being pregnant And then there's the type of woman who loves labor and you're never both. So I was really not that into pregnancy. For me, it was three months of 24-7 morning sickness, which for anybody who hasn't been pregnant, imagine the worst hangover of your life all day, every day for three months. And I just lie on the couch and watch like reality TV and Oprah and think nine months. Wow. I gave birth at home. My son was born in what became his bedroom. Loved it. Loved. I had the orgasmic delivery. And then we took it from there. And my son was perfect health. I had cleared space to have him. And he cried for three months. I would bounce with him. I walk up and downstairs. I'd sit on a yoga ball. I bounce. And that would calm him. And people's, oh, it's colic. I knew it wasn't colic. He wasn't colicky. It was nothing health-related. I just thought he was pissed off with being here. You know, to go from what I assume, believe, trust is something so much bigger, vast, and magnificent as a soul, probably, you know, multiple incarnations, and to cram yourself into this little lump of coal called a body, to be totally dependent, and he just cried. And then I called sort of an esoteric friend and said, what the f***? And she said, tell him how great it is to be human. And I did. And three days I rocked him. And sometimes I would cry, tears streaming down my face as I was talking. Part of it was the freaking exhaustion and then just the beauty of it. And I would say, you're going to get to ride a motorcycle. You're going to kiss people. You're going to fall in love. You're going to learn how to write with a pencil. You're going to drive in a car. You're going to have ice cream. You're going to climb things. Stop crying. And my mom came over at the end of those three days, like not any strategic timing, just came for a visit. And she said, he's different. Something's different. And I was like, he's human now. I really think that was a threshold of going from like baby, angelic, not totally in body to, okay, Hmm. I'm here. I'm going to do this. And then he started teething. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Which is yeah. like they get 20 teeth in two years. It sounds yeah. so painful. That's ridiculous. Yeah. What about you? How was your transition into parenting and becoming a parent? Loved it. Built for it. 
grateful for it. There's some definitely some guilt. I felt that infancy, the crying and everything, eh, it's difficult. But oh God, it's all so milky and sleepy and <laughs> sweet. And simultaneously, I was so happy to not be working. And I really looked at him as my declaration of a long needed holiday. Not that that's any holiday, but I just, wow, I was off my computer. For me, putting him in the stroller and going for a walk, heaven. And sleep deprived, breastfeeding, leaking, you know, wet t shirt all the time. I felt like I was really isolated, but that was fine with me. I'm like a super introvert. And then about the two year mark, so I took time off work. So I work for myself, I work from home as essentially, you know, living the life of a freelance consultant. My partner and I decided he had just become a firefighter, really intense beginning of his career, lots of extra time with the dudes, not easy on me. That's okay. I'm just like home nursing a baby. And we decided that I had a little bit of money set aside, but that I would live off credit cards for two or three years if that was necessary. And it was partially necessary. And I remember watching this interview with Susie Orman, who had just left Oprah and was doing her own financial thing on CNN. And she's like super enthusiastic and hard ass. And she's like, why would you spend time working a nine to five job to save up money for your kid's college education when what your child needs is you to be present in their developing years? You know, this is a hardcore financial advisor. The wisest thing to do is to go into financial debt, credit card debt, if you have to, to be with your child, to jump cut to the end if you can't afford their college education because of those first few years being in debt, that's fine. It's okay for them to be on their own, to come up with their own money for college. And I'd already made that decision anyway, to just like, well, this is what love does. It's only credit card debt. So that was great affirmation. And then when he is about two years old, I was loading the dishwasher. And a friend called and said, how are you doing? I was like, if I have to load the dishwasher one more time and change diapers. And she said, oh, you're bored. Hmm. And it was like the sun came out with a heap of guilt. I was like, I'm bored. She said, yeah, that's what happens. Oh, my God. Nobody told me I was going to get bored. And a week later, and such a blessing. I know you have a similar blessing. I literally walked him across the street to daycare. Like I could see from our living room window in this little tiny house we rented for 10 years where he was born, I could see him in the front window playing at daycare. I started with two hours. I couldn't stand more than two hours away from him. Then we did four hours the next day. And then three months later, we worked up. And then by the end of the year, he was there five hours a day. And then he went there for the next three years. Hmm. Full time. Yeah. That's the early days. And this morning he just left to go to high school. So, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh. So, how does this coincide with the early blogging days with White Hot Truth and building your own business? Well, you know, everybody tells you to sleep when the baby sleeps. That doesn't happen. You don't sleep when the baby sleeps. If you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> you put the baby down if your baby sleeps. My kid never slept, really. And you try and write a blog post. So let me see. He started going to daycare, still breastfeeding, 
wrote the book proposal for my first book, had a business partner, like 100% partnership, collaborative, creative. We were in it together. It was like her name and my name.com. And we got a book deal. And I would put them in a daycare, put some extra nursing pads in my bra so I didn't leak, run to this little studio that we were renting, that we were paying for on credit cards and seeing these clients one-on-one. So not making any money. Would like borrow clothes from girlfriends so I would look great with my clients Hmm. because it was all about style. I was doing this one-on-one kind of soulful style branding work. It's called Style Statement. It feels like it's 100 years ago. We got the book deal. My first trip away from my son to New York to get book deal. Again, you borrow clothes. You're like, what's the best use of my money right now? New pair of boots. Okay. Got the deal. Business is growing. We're getting lots of media. Now we're like four years old. Oprah calls, more media, raise money, hire CEO. CEO super betrays us. I get fired from my own company. And then there's a lot of crying. There's a lot of lawyers. And I did 16 cities in a year. This pattern continues. Because I had a son that I did not want to be away from, I totally support women who want and need to be away from their kids to stay sane and (laughs) use work to do that. For me, I wanted to get home right away. And I had a working husband. If your partner is a civil servant, they can't just go in late and their job is related to saving lives. All the flexibility in the relationship is up to you. I would say, who wants me to come in? I'm going to do this jam session in your living room, 100 bucks per person, get 10 people there, 20 people there, pay my own flight. That's how I made my living in the first year getting fired from my own company. And I made those trips so quickly because I had a young kid. If I could get in and out of a city anywhere in two days, I would do it. Hmm. But further than that, and you're too far away from your kid. Yeah, too much time. His father needs to get to his shift, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. It's serious shift work. And then that brings us to like around the beginning of school, of full-time school, which is revolutionary. By that time, I'm so ready to have like a full uninterrupted day, four days a week. Again, the blessing of just, we would just waddle down the street. (laughs) And sometimes I would, you know, go and have lunch with him. And we could do that, just hang out, have a picnic in the schoolyard. So beautiful. All that flexibility and that proximity is just, it's golden. It's hard to value it sometimes, I think, until you have it and you know how much it means. Yeah. Yeah. You've you've done a number of things as a parent that I look to in my own life for inspiration and advice. I think each parent finds their own right rhythm and vibe, and we each choose different things, of course. But what I admire and respect so much is that you have thought so deeply about many of the things that you choose to do. Can you talk about how you learned and how you chose things like you don't share your kid's name and you're very deliberate and intentional about what photos you share and don't share. How did those practices arise and and what do they mean to you? That all comes out of my spirituality, really. I believe that everything is energy and that having thousands of eyeballs looking at you is thousands of just little micro bits of energy. And I believe that he has his own life. One thing I learned was that who they are, at least in my case, who my son was on day one 
is who he is 14 years later. Like I thought, oh, his personality will develop. He is that. He's steady. I wish I would have paid more attention when he was an infant to his personality without thinking, oh, that'll change. That'll evolve. No, he's the same characteristics. He's introverted. People say he's shy. He's not shy. He's making his mind up about things. And especially when they're younger, they're so not into small talk. They don't understand all those nuances and they're not faking it. So he just would watch until he had something to say. And I thought, hmm, he will thrive with protection. His father and I are divorced and his dad has expressed some concerns like, hey, you have a public profile. Could you not you know, put him up on social media? Like I'm down with that. But I said to him, my son, you want to be out? Because I can have this conversation with your father. And if you want to be on my social media and be involved in that way, you can. He's like, no. He has his own Instagram account, not one photo of him, just takes nature photos. That's is his wish. I think a small part of the, this was I intuited where this was going to go when he was younger. And I have other friends. Kids are all over social media. Go for it. And I also have concerns about that mm. and how that affects a child's psyche. And I've seen kids go in the direction of, it seems that everything they're doing is they know they're being watched and there's this performance element to them that I don't think is natural or healthy. Yeah, that's the social media answer. And do you have parenting philosophies like other stalwarts or grounding principles for how you decide to show up as a parent? Yes. No shaming ever. No shaming, no lying, no game playing, psychological game playing. Like I never said to him, you know, when he was younger, didn't want to leave a store. I never said, okay, I'm going now. None mm -hmm. of that. I would never leave him by himself in a store. Why would I act that way and create that kind of panic, separation panic in terms of shaming, very little cynicism, very little sarcasm, just really straight, a lot of really straight talk with him. We never did baby talk. I was an attachment parent, a thousand percent attachment parenting. Again, very intuitive and instinctual. And then I read a lot of stuff later that made me feel sane and not alone. Like, wow, okay. No pushing in the direction that I want him to go. You know, in the beginning, his father really wanted him to play soccer. Mm -hmm. I knew intuitively this kid was not going to be into athletics, but okay, let's give it a go. Maybe he'll surprise me. No desire. Okay, we're done with that. I don't need to try three more seasons to see if you're going to love this. Like, I really paid attention to what he immediately loved. We're very verbal. I think sometimes <laughs> he talks my ear off. And I think, God, that's because I just talked to him from day one. We didn't be in the car and I'd tell him, you know, what we're doing. I share a lot with what's going on for me. Hmm. There's this line of like what I know he can understand, what's appropriate. When you're a single mom with a son, I don't use the term single mom very often, but when you're parenting a lot by yourself with a male child, you have to be careful that you're not turning him into your boyfriend. Hmm. And I don't want to hear, I'm sure he'll be in therapy when he's an adult for his own <laughs> reason, but I don't want him to come back to me after and say, you treated me like, you know, you gave me too much emotional weight. You shared too much. It's a fine line, you know? Hmm. Mm hmm. Tell him what's happening, but don't turn him into your confidant for everything. Yeah. 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 Like I said once, 
such a strange example. But last year, you know, I'm at my desk, I get this email from a producer at Oprah. He comes upstairs, I go, Hey, guess what? Oprah. And he's like, great. And you know, a sincere moment of like, awesome, mom. And he's like, so the toilet's clogged downstairs. <laughs> like, and we're back. Yep. And you know, and he was in a bit of a whatever that day into himself. And later on, I was like, you could have been a little more excited and conversant about the Oprah thing today. And he's like, oh, sometimes I wish you had a boyfriend to tell these things. to." <laughs> and I thought, okay, all right. Good to know my place. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't care. Or that's for someone else. Oh, that's funny. And and one more thing that's a stalwart. And I bring this up because I get asked this question a lot, where especially in the personal development conference space, women will ask me, how much do you share with your kid about your belief system? Like, you know, should I tell them about essential oils? Should I tell them about meditation? Should I tell them I had this dream? To which my answer is, You've worked so long to figure out what your belief system is. Why would you hide now? If you really believe it, whatever it is, that this works for giving your life more meaning and your own wellness track, why would you not give it to your kid? And your kid's going to roll their eyes, whether you are a Baptist or a New Ager or whatever it is, there will be resistance because that's part of them developing their own identity and their own consciousness. They should be questioning everything. And they should think some things are silly, but don't hold back. So I consider it my job, my honor, my pleasure to completely indoctrinate my kid into the way that I look at the world. Mm. And because the way that I look at the world is a minority view and a very esoteric view, he questions a lot of it. He's like, oh, and I go, a lot of your friends aren't thinking about this. You're not being taught this at school. You're going to another church with your father. And I'm telling you, this is how I think the world works. And I'm right. <laughs> and you can make your mind up. And with most of the things, he comes back to me. He digs it. I love, love what you said about talking to them straight. I think one of the books that you sent us is where we learned it. I remember we read it before we had our little one. And we have this mantra, which is just tell them what's happening. You know, we're going yeah. home from the hospital right now. You're getting into a car. And it's just yeah. one of the most beautiful practices. And, and thank you. I think that you're the one that shared that with us. Mm. So simple. So profound. Right? Like, you can't talk and you can't move yet, but you'd like someone to explain what's happening. Okay. I think maybe in whatever book that was, they say, you know, before you lift up your child's legs to change their diaper and wipe their genitals why don't you let them know you're going to do that? And it just was like, so polite. Well, I'm going to change your diaper now. And it also informed me with working with other kids. I'm going to give you a wipe now. Mm -hmm. You know, on some level, there's a little bit of permission and acknowledgement, like, you know, this is safe. I'm here to help you. Yeah. And the respect, the divine respect of it all respect. of the other person. What do you wish that more people knew about parenting? Like, especially non-parents or people who are thinking about becoming parents? I wish somebody would have told me everything's a phase. I would have lightened up on a few things. I would have been less stressed. Like your child will not always eat pasta and butter and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that will pass. <laughs> and your child will sleep through the night. This will pass. 
everything passes. Everything, even when they get older into like just more like psycho behavioral things when they're like 12 and 30, they'll pass. This is just a three month thing where they're obsessed with that. So everything's a phase. Nothing for many of us, nothing can prepare you for the physical exhaustion. And you think you know, you think you can know, you have no idea. And to go with it and that will pass too. It'll come back. It will rock your relationship in unsettling and beautiful ways. They're not yours. They're not yours. They are their own soul. And you get the honor of caring for them. And they're their own person. It is not their job to please you in any way, shape, or form. You're giving me tingles and teary eyes. Someone told me that we have tears on our face for a reason so that other people can see them. I want to ask you, too, about your book, the most recent one, White Hot Truth. In the dedication, you write, For my girlfriends, past, present, and future, and forever, without whom I'd be the very unpleasant kind of crazy. I love your dedication. I want to ask you about forming friendships, adult female friendships, especially for mothers, for entrepreneurs. How do you do it? How have you done it? A lot of intention. You have to make your friends your priority and you have to water and nourish those friendships. You have to choose your friends, not all of the time, but a lot of the time you choose your friends over money. You choose your friends over deadlines. Depending on your relationship with your biological family, you choose your friends over your bio family. Sometimes your soul family or the family you're born into, often it isn't. Your soul family goes over all of that. So there's that. There's just like how to be a good friend, 101. And then you have to open yourself up to other types of relationships and friendships. So eight years ago, a friend of a friend said to my friend, hey, we all know cool women. Why don't we just have this potluck? We just need to be together and let's see who's really doing stuff in the city and women in one room having hummus, you know, only five of us could show up because there was a snowstorm that night. One of us showed up with a baby. I need to go home because I was still breastfeeding. One had just got her, you know, big schmancy job at the city. So diverse, would never have chosen each other. Different ages. We range at the time we were like early thirties to just turn 60 and different jobs and Eight years later, once a month, the five of us still meet. One of us moved to Kenya. We Skype her in. And it's as good as therapy. We get there and we're like, oh my God. And all we do, it's not formulaic, but this is just how it started, is we just say, who wants to go first? And we're eating and we're laughing. And someone just starts telling us like the update on their life. Every once in a while, we have an opinion. There's always lots of laughs. There's always lots of tears. That's how we just check in. And then we put our boots on, we go home. And sometimes we see each other in between because we had pre-existing friendships or, you know, love. It's like a vitamin. Yeah. But I've seen people who are like, you know, I'd rather carpet my house than go on this trip to visit my friend in Europe. Hmm. And I just think, you're going to be lonely when you're old <laughs> because <laughs> that's the wrong choice. Choose the friend in Europe over carpeting. <laughs> Choose the relationships. Yeah. So important. And I think it feels sometimes like, I don't know what it is actually, but sometimes there's that hiccup of, oh, that's hard, right? Or maybe they don't want to, or 
the vulnerability of it all. And yet it's so important. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, vulnerability is a hot word. Like the intimacy, I should write about this. How do you maintain friendships when you're not at your best? Before we recorded, I was telling you like, I've been sick with this immune system thing for months and that's so cliche, but you know who's busy and you know who your friends are when you can't be the one to reach out. It's the friends who keep saying, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? Intimacy when you're down is difficult. You're going to have down phases, the ebb and flow of life. You got to get back into the friendships when you're, you're able to. And forgive people. I've noticed myself like, oh, she hasn't called and I've been sick and she's always so busy. And I'm just like, that's her life. And that's who she is. I'm committed to loving her, even though she's over busy. I'm not going to take her over busyness personally. In four weeks, it's going to be way too long since we've seen each other. It'll be four months. When she walks into my living room, she's going to be the same person. I'm going to keep loving her and hope she keeps loving me. Yeah. You said something that I think is so interesting and is so important. Loneliness. For the people who are listening to this podcast, for new mothers and for entrepreneurs, I think there's this double whammy that can come up where both of them can be incredibly isolating and, and lonely when it's hard. It's even harder than ever to reach out or to leave the house because you feel like you're leaking from every place in your body. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Tears, boobs, everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know that you are more introverted. Talk to me, though, about loneliness. How do you deal with it when it comes up? And have you written about what to do for other people, especially new parents, new entrepreneurs? It's not something I super identify with because I am so introverted. Love, love, love solitude. Sometimes I feel like I can't get enough. Where loneliness does come up for me clearly and poignantly is in terms of leadership. You know, I don't have an editor. I don't have a creative compadre. I, it's me. It's me, (laughs) happily solo, writing in my little turret. And sometimes that's difficult. I want someone to say, ah, that paragraph wasn't great, or that paragraph was awesome. And I have to get that need filled in however I can. Then there's the loneliness of the isolation of like, you know, I have to lead nine women and one dude who I never see because we work virtually five different countries, like three different time zones. And sometimes I've got to come up with like the new coordinates on my own. And I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. And hey, you know, I've got a right hand, a left hand person, and we are very much collaborative. But at the beginning of the day and the end of the day, I've got to know what I want. And I've got to be clear that I believe that's the right thing. And that can be really isolating. I don't have a formal mastermind group, but that's where your peers really (laughs) are indispensable. And I have my own backup system that is not involved in the company. Like I have my own shrink. I have my own energy worker. I have someone who I can get some kind of organizational development consulting from. And then we have those kind of people that work with the team as well. I can identify with that so much. And the entrepreneurial path, the leadership path, how do you make those decisions? Who do you talk to at the end of the day after your team has gone home and you have to figure Mm -hmm. it out? 
And you have to be so transparent for it to work. Like if you have issues being honest or vulnerable, it's going to be really problematic for you because you need to be able to call someone and say, I can't pay rent. I got to remortgage my house. I don't know how to fire this person. This didn't sell. Our launch was blah, blew up and this is tough. And I think I made a mistake for them to go, okay, this is what I think you should do. And that wasn't a mistake. And this was not a good idea. And turn left. Yeah. It's so capacity be so vulnerable. Key. So tell me about the business today. What does it look like? You said nine women and a dude. One dude, mm -hmm. 10 people. <laughs> That's a big team. What's the current energy like at the team? What's the vision? Where are you going? <sighs> well, I'm smiling as you're asking that. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's good. It was really rough about six months ago. All the things that were happening that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. And then some awesome surprises that took up a lot of energy. And then my own fatigue and then getting hit with this weird virus from Costa Rica. Just like grinding halt. It's a real struggle for about three months to figure out what do we want to do? How are we going to do it? Like, who are we now? Because this is something profound is not working here. So the shift we made was that for so many years, we've been really focused in a traditional startup online business way, which is go be as visible as possible. Get as many likes and followers and clicks as you can, as many subscribers as you can get as much publicity as you can in traditional media, get on radio and TV and podcasts and in magazines. And all that visibility lifts the whole ship. You get more of all of that. Then you sell more stuff, you make more money and you're more sustained. Uh, that's how I feel about that now. Is that wise? Of course. Absolutely. It's part of growth. Is it sustainable? Not for a single personality driven brand, not for how I'm wired. No. And what I realized was we we're in this growth model of, I said I wasn't trying to convert people because I'd be like, oh, my marketing is all about, you know, I just kind of talk to my girlfriends and it's all one-on-one. -on -one. That was true and genuine, but I still trying to get new people all the time, greater reach. And that is exhausting. Not only is it exhausting, it's actually proving to be very expensive. Because Facebook algorithms and, you know, thousands of dollars a month on Facebook ads. And if you want an A-list publicist to get you traditional media, that's a very pricey endeavor. Before I do that, before I save all that marketing money, why don't I just do what my heart now very clearly wants me to do, which is just serve the tribe. So I needed to stop. But also I really felt this longing because I am so relationship-oriented. As much of an introvert as I am, I mean, I am into intimacy. Why don't I just take care of the people who are here? So that is a complete inversion of the business model. So now I'm just building stuff for the people who have showed up. This is why I get so excited. <laughs> and I smile when you ask me the question. See, in the old model, when you're going for all these new people, then you want to make fewer things. It's more economical. Make just a few things and sell it to as many people as possible. There's lots of reasons that makes sense. Anybody who's listening can figure that out. When you're just feeding the tribe, you have to feed them fresh banquet all the time. And that works with for me because I am, by definition, prolific. <laughs> I just want to make a new thing and a new thing and a new thing. That works if you've got people who are resonating. Kate Northrup is really preaching in such a beautiful way these days about doing less. And lots of us are really returning to simplicity and intimacy. And I'm there. so. That's the model. 
later this year, I'm going to launch a year-long program. Can't believe I'm going to do it. Would never have done anything that required that much calendar commitment because I really like spurts. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Boom, happens in three months. But I want to go deep. I want to build relationships. I want to make stuff with my hands. I think there's going to be a component of you know some visual stuff that's just my art because I want to be off the computer and I want to give like the purest gift I can give. Like, look at this. I made that for you with my hands. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of it. I'm smiling so much because I love how you described there's so much out there for growth for growth's sake as an entrepreneur, more, more, more. And sometimes just taking that to the extreme, it's like, okay, 4,000 subscribers, 100,000, 400,000, like when is enough enough? And yeah. for many people listening, like it's just a relief, I think, to hear like, oh, wait a second, you know what? I've got a thousand and that's good, right? I can do what I need to serve this tribe. Yeah, we we came up with a budget number for what we need to keep the lights on in, in the business. I don't want to shrink at all. I want to keep making lots of stuff. There's no reason to let anybody go, but I don't need to double profits by 50% every year. That would be great. We all want simpler lives. We want to work a four-day work week. We want to take care of each other. We came up with a like, what do we need to just run? I didn't like the term, keep the lights on. It sounds so survival and <laughs> poor, you know? Mm -hmm. We came up with our be well number. So it's the keep the lights on, treat everybody really well, and not have to worry about making payroll. We have that number. Just last week, there's one product. We were like, oh, should we do this? and come out with it in the fall? Can we fit it in? And I was like, just hold on. What's our be well number? Ah, right. Okay. If all goes well, we don't have to launch that. Why don't we launch that next year? That is sanity. And it's, it's been a long time coming for me. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. The be well number. I was doing two numbers in my head for annual planning because we're talking in January and it was like success as I see it, but then it was like the cliff, but I hate that phrase. Like, I don't want to have a cliff that I fall off of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just so <laughs> ominous. Like, <laughs> oh, be well. Mm. Okay. I wouldn't be, I think, capturing your brilliance if I didn't ask you about two things, meditation, first of all, and pleasure, because you wrote about this. So I want to end by asking you, First, you wrote recently, you said meditation or some form of contemplation or prayer is essential for your sanity and fulfillment. Can you talk to me about why it's so vital for you in your practice and why you, why you recommend it to everyone? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a seeker. So there's that. I want to know how life works. I want to know about the cosmos. So I have an inclination. But I need to be clear-minded. I want to make healthy decisions that are taking all of me into consideration. My body, my wellness, my sanity, my sanity. Just, I think the basis way to put it is if you want to be sane, you need to pay attention to your mind. Give your mind some intentional healing and some space and some nourishment. And you do that through some form of contemplation. And I think, you know, I'm pretty preachy about it these days, but without it, it's one of the reasons we're living in just like crazy, crazy times, overconsumption, overmedication, just stop and drop in. Crucial for me, it looks like every day I do something. I mean, on the days where life really does, I let it run away without me and 
my kids running late and hot lunch and the beans and the thermos and it's pouring rain. So I will drive them to school and all that. And then I got to get on a call. Okay. Well, then that day I'll just say a prayer. Every night there's a gratitude, something that happens. But on the mornings when I have it together, there's an actual meditation that happens. And one of my highlights actually creatively of last year was really coming out of the closet with that and actually creating a product with that, which I felt really honored to do. The, and the create space meditation? Yeah, the creation space. Creation and we're going to do... We're going to do it regularly now. We really committed to regular. Like this is another thing about looking at our production schedule. We like, ah, oh, there are a lot of work and maybe we should just do three a year. Or why don't we do one in May and then one in August? And I was like, no, they've got to come out regularly because it's this can be like our little church. I don't care if we sell a lot of them. We don't have to have space to market the shit out of it. Let's offer it. And the people who need it will come. Yes, there's a price tag. We need to pay for the production of it, but I'm just going to show up and give it and we'll, we're going to do it on a regular basis. And then what was the second thing you mentioned? Pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. Well, pleasure is the all in the company, the sister of joy. I think joy is what happens when you're facing your soul. Joy is what happens when you are expressing your original self. I think when you turn away from your original self, you know, the extreme is splits in your personality and narcissism and you really run into some dark stuff. The middle of that is meh. Okay, you're a bit of yourself some of the time. It's meh living. Most of yourself most of the time, that's joy. Committing to your pleasure is how you face your soul. And I feel like, you know, really specifically working on getting <laughs> this bug I caught in a tropical country out of my system. I know it leaves me. It doesn't bother me when I'm in joy. It's been one of like the dozen amazing learnings of physical healing. Just if I'm dancing, if I make time for the nap, not just because my body needs it, I don't have a fever. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, to commit to that. And you can't lose. You can't lose. <laughs> It's like the more you commit to it, the more joy you generate. If you're not getting all those things that you think you needed to work for that you thought would make you happy, it's okay. You're still in a state of joy. You might make less money because you're doing other things that are more joyful. It's okay. Got more joy. Money doesn't matter as much. Wouldn't that be amazing if the stuff and the money and everybody else's approval didn't matter as much? Well, the cure for that is to make your pleasure a priority. Danielle, it's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Big hugs to you. And you know, I love yours. <laughs> yeah. And thanks to everybody listening. For everyone listening, I'm going to link up the books that you sent when we were pregnant, because I think those will be a wonderful resource for the listeners. And is there anywhere in particular I should point them to first on your website? I'll link up everything. Well, I'll link up your socials and your website. But what should yeah. they check out first? Well, I've created little collections of sort of themes. It's like if you're an entrepreneur, here's five posts that are about that. If you're having a hard time right now and you need some encouragement, here's five little poetic things that might shed some light. So I have something somewhere on my site mm. called Collections. Really the center of my social universe is Instagram. Like 
you know, my most current thoughts are there. I really love Instagram. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'll link that and I'll find the collections. I'll put them in the show notes for everyone so you can take a look as well as to the creative space meditation, which is so good. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a listener of the show. A few more things before we end this episode. First, if you know of a woman or a friend that would benefit from this show, send them a link to our website at startuppregnant.com. So many of you have already reached out and shared your stories, what this podcast is doing for you. And for that, I am so grateful. So if you know of somebody that would love to listen in, or you think that these stories would really hit at home for somebody, feel free to send it along. Second, if you've got a story that you need to share or tell, head over to startuppregnant.com and send us a note. We have had so much reader mail already, and your stories mean the world to us. We are proudly listener-sponsored, so if you want to sponsor the show and hear more episodes, head over to our Patreon page and you can buy us a cup of coffee or two or three. We'll take many cups of coffee. If you want any of the show notes or links from this particular episode, all of the references and tools and tips that we talk about are always posted on startuppregnant.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode.